welcome to the X-Factor Files podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip. And we are here to discuss the fifth issue of X-Factor Files, or X-Factor Investigation. Every time I say the name of our podcast, which you obviously know since you're listening to it. Yes. And I just know it as X-Factor. Oh, yeah. I always leave off the subtitle, but that's okay. Yes. So, anyway, we're discussing issue five of X-Factor. And I think that it's pretty darn good. And we're going to dive into it and talk about what actually happened within it. Yeah, because I sort of went on a I-must-read-the-next-issue situation. So I read a whole bunch at once. Good. That's what it's built for. Yeah. And that's why we're doing this right now. So that people can read ahead and then come back and listen to the episodes when they release, too. So you're basically doing what everyone out there should be doing or could be doing, which is reading ahead, then coming back and hear us discuss what's going on and um, our reactions to it and how much fun we're having. That's surprisingly difficult to put down. It is. Um, I had that issue this morning where I read one issue and I wanted to keep going. And I'm like, no, I I need to do other things rather than (laughs) read X Factor. Um, So first... We are in May 2006, so we need to do the pop culture pop-up and discuss what's actually happening in the world of pop culture at this time. Um, You may have turned on the radio and heard a song climbing up the charts. It is Hips Don't Lie by Shakira. Oh. That was a jam. That was. Yeah, and you heard it everywhere. Um, And this is one of the songs in... uh, past episodes we've discussed some songs that were inescapable in a bad way where it was like "Eh, yeah are are we really going to hear daniel powder's bad day again um but hips don't lie i can still rock out to that yeah it's great to lift to it's fun when you hear random places still these days yeah i enjoy it yeah um Desperate Housewives had its season two finale. Yes. Which you've been diving back into. I have been. I'm almost there. I mean, Alfre Woodard is on that season, and she's so good. Yes. Um, But I feel maybe wasted, and now looking back on it, like, I really wish we had more representation in terms of um, black women on the series. Like... She was it, I think. Until Vanessa Williams. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I can't wait to dive in to Vanessa Williams. <laughs> Vanessa Williams in anything. I forced you to watch The Diva's Christmas Carol. Okay, but I was like, we should watch Ugly Betty. And you were like, mm. I haven't really seen... The, I only saw random episodes of Ugly Betty. It's I wasn't into it. So good. When does, does Ugly Betty appear in your pop culture pop Maybe it will, now that you've <laughs> mentioned it. It should. Um, something big did happen in the world of X-Men, though. X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Oh, I wonder, I feel like that was one of those movies that we went to a midnight showing of in college and like was standing outside the movie theater in Walla Walla, Washington, waiting to get in, playing ridiculous games to pass the time. Um, and this is X3. It is uh, 
basically reviled. Like, <laughs> oh, there are a lot of X-Men movies out there from the Fox universe. X-2 I, was so good. And then you go into X-3 thinking it's going to be that. And it it wasn't quite... Yeah, I mean, it's okay. I don't recall seeing it until a long time after it came out. Like, I was not hitting up movies at midnight in college. Um, because there was sort of that culture back then in the mid-2000s where... Especially from Lord of the Rings, that's when it started. Yeah, it did. And I remember Lord of the Rings, like, avoiding things like The Plague. I don't think I did a midnight showing, but there were definitely, like, the Friday it came out after school. Like, I think especially mm. Return of the King is, like, we yes. need to go and see this as soon as possible. Yep. Um, but something that was in X-Men The Last Stand. Multiple Man. We had Eric Dane appear as Madrox in that movie. Oh, we did. Yeah. It was... Uh, Mc, McSteamy. McSteamy. Which, <laughs> by the way, um, very McSteamy. Yes. And... Um, it was great to see him in the movie. Thus far, the only appearance of multiple men in the movies. Yeah. Which I can see. It's a lot of special effects and needing to duplicate, basically, the actor. Har, but they can, they can do that. That's something that, with today's technology, they can do that. Yes. It is not Haley Mills and Haley Mills in the parent trap split screen sort of thing that they have to do anymore oh that was a good time though that was one of our movie nights during the pandemic was the parent trap starring Haley mills and Haley mills yes i really enjoy that version i think i've seen the Lindsay lohan version once oh which i don't need it i i'll take the classic yes and finally let's talk about some awards okay they were the Saturn Awards, though. Oh, I love sci-fi. Yes. So uh, Saturn Awards are the best in science fiction, fantasy, and horror film and television. Does that mean that Battlestar Galactica swept everything? Maybe. We're going to find out. So the best film for action, adventure, or thriller was Sin City. Oh. That seems really gritty, which is why I never saw it. Yeah, this is in the same vein as like 300. And all the abs um, when that came out was yeah, um, similar time frame. The best fantasy film beating out the reboot from the TV version of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So the Disney version was beat, as was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, with some weird Johnny Depp moments. I've never seen that one. And Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire also lost. So you know to this what? has to be Batman Begins. Oh. The first Christian Bale Batman. Fun fact, we, in, in college around this time, we would always do a drive-in movie in the spring and the fall, where you get a big screen and you sit on the side of the campus center with some friends and cuddle and some blankets, and there'd be popcorn and stuff, and the best attended one from when I was there was when we did Mean Girls and Batman Begins. That makes sense. That was a potent combo. I remember my college, they always had free Friday night movies where you just had to show your student ID and it was in the student union. And the first one I ever saw in there was Mean Girls. Nice. Because that came out when, I think it was when we were either graduating high school or right after in the summer and I had no time for movies. I was so busy. So finally, because... It, 
colleges get them for a cheaper licensing fee right before they're about to come out on DVD yeah. and stuff like that. They finally could afford Mean Girls, and they showed it, and it was fantastic. And that was such a formative film for that time. And it stuck around. Uh, yeah, even people younger than us that were exposed to it, that is one of their favorite films. It is nostalgia in a bottle for them. Yeah. There's still the... On October 23rd, he asked me what date it was. Yeah. It's October 23rd, or whatever the, the yeah. quote is. Uh, so it spawned a lot of memes. It's part of our pop culture. It is obviously the high point for Lindsay Lohan. She's available on Cameo now. I got a sponsored ad for, like, paying Lindsay Lohan. I did like the... There's some commercial for something that she's in, and she's, like, just living her life, and people are expecting all this drama, and she's, like, at a spin class. And, like, good for you, Lindsay Lohan. Like, pull it all back together. Yeah. And hopefully that commercial mirrors life. The best director was Peter Jackson for King Kong. Oh. Remember when we had really useless remakes? No one wanted a new King Kong. <laughs> Peter Jackson did, not he was banking on that Lord of the Rings oh, fame. Oh, he knew he could make King Kong solely based on Lord of the Rings. He thought that he had the golden ticket, and anything he touched would turn to gold. And I think King Kong was the beginning of him realizing, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. But then he did the Hobbit trilogy, which we are going to dive into our feels about later on in this season of the podcast when the Hobbit eventually starts coming out, because I have some thoughts and feelings. But you just mixed a lot of metaphors in there too. There's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the Golden Ticket. There was oh. Muppet Classic Theater: colon, King Midas with the Golden mm. Touch. The best sci-fi film, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Oh, that is another film I waited outside the movie theater for Midnight Showing for. There's a... And I should have just gone to bed. <laughs> yeah, that's one you could wait on. I waited on it. Mm. The best TV series on the networks, so our big five here in the United States, NBC, ABC, Fox. Is it still Saturn Awards? Yes. Okay. What do you think it is? In 2006. Battlestar? Network. Network. Oh, no. But... I don't know. Lost. Oh, no. On ABC. I think this was Lost's first season. I watched that one. I did no, not... this would have been the second season of Lost. Oh, that's when I lost steam and stopped watching that. Yeah. I've watched everything but the last episode. And I have... I tried to return to it during the pandemic on Hulu. And I was like, maybe I'll watch Lost again. And I made it 15 minutes into the first episode. I'm like, you know, I don't think I need to go back <laughs> to this place. Is Star Trek Enterprise still a thing? No. Oh, well. Um, Veronica Mars, Lost to Lost. Oh no, Veronica Mars was so good. And uh, this was the beginning, I think, of the WB being about superheroes. So Smallville, Smallville. Lost as well. The best cable series, though. Battlestar. Yes, Battlestar Galactica. So good. So, oh, so good. And um, Nip Tuck was in the mix. Oh. And we had two Stargates lose to Battlestar. Oh, is this when Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis were on at the same time? Exactly. A little bit formulaic, but still fun, like, campy sci-fi. And Stargate SG-1 was great at the end of, uh, what's-his-face? MacGyver. 
Um, cause he was, he called out how cliche it was all the time. And I don't know if that was just, uh, off the cuff thing and they just went with it and kept it in the broadcast, mm -hmm. but it's so entertaining and Dr. Daniel, Daniel Jackson can get it. Yeah. So acting, um, we have Matthew Fox winning for Lost, Kristen Bell winning for Veronica Mars. As deserved, she should. Deserved um that's a series that you can go back and watch and still be totally entertained by the supporting categories were swept and by swept i mean there are only two oh. so we had james callis winning for gaius baltar in battlestar what is, yes because his gaius baltar what a scumbag and katie sackoff winning for battlestar as well yeah there was so much controversy around her casting at starbuck i remember like, yeah. how can it be a woman because the patriarchy? Yeah, whatever. And she's so good. And the last thing I want to highlight, they actually do awards for DVDs this year. And the best classic film DVD release is the Wizard of Oz three-disc set that I still have. And even though I purged in grad school all of my DVD cases... You kept that one? I kept that one. as one of the few... That and the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. Oh, with those books. With the box sets. Yes. Yes, I kept those as well. Fun fact, dear listeners, Wizard of Oz is Daryl's favorite film. It is. So uh, I remember it coming out and it had like little lobby card replicas and tons of documentaries and stuff that I have one taped off of TV. It is Angela Lansbury oh. talking about the Wizard of Oz and the making of it. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So absolutely great DVD release. But, oh, and you know what lost? It's fun. The Titanic three-disc special collector's edition lost. What? Yeah. If you had said that to me in 1999, I would have been like, you're out of your mind. I think this was the point where Titanic had reached that high in 97, 98. This was at the bottom. Like, everyone was over it still because we saw it so many times. Yes. So, uh, Titanic, Titanic, I feel, got a renaissance in recent years. People are going back now that it's... 20 years plus after it, saying, okay, the nostalgia hits for this movie. Yeah, people were obsessed. Yes, they were. But let's dive into this issue yes. and talk about it, everything that's going on with it, because it is fairly solid and cohesive and one storyline running throughout. We're not bopping back and forth as much right. with this issue. And I really like the highlight of Richter in this episode going from, like, I can't do anything, I'm depowered, like, I guess I'll hang around you people for something. Mm -hmm. Sort of that listless, I'm here, I might as well stay here, I suppose. Yeah, and I feel that that's an element of grief that yeah. he's experiencing. He is grieving the loss of his powers. Yeah. So far. And we're going to see... More developments with him. I mean, this is a long run well, for yes. a comic, so it's going to change, but... And it's only issue five. Up to this point, he's been a sad boy. Yeah, with a court page haircut. Yeah. On the cover, we have Siren screaming with some concentric circles, mimicking her power, and it's sort of at odds with what we experience with her in the story, where she doesn't have a voice for a whole lot of it. Right. Our rundown 
for the opening page is... It has those creepy panels where it's this basically a silhouette of someone with a, a cudgel beating her, but you don't see her, you just see him... With the blood splatter. Yeah, as he whisks the cudgel back and flirts. Oh. And we learn in this um, first page that it was actually Trip Jr. that beat her. Yeah. They don't know it, but we know it as the reader. It's explained right here. And, and I we, thought, we had a we I had a feeling that it was him. I didn't know if it was him. I knew it was connected to singularity. Yeah. But the fact that it's him and that they would just give that away in the summary page on the first page is a different style of writing. They don't want that to be the main mystery. That is not the focus of this issue. They gave us the answer as to who attacked right up front. It's, I think it makes a little bit of sense in terms of setting up the villains. Because you have those panels there where it's so brutal and so visceral. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, we're going to put a name to it. Something that you already have read. It's this person. Yeah. So then you carry that with you every time you see that person in a panel. of Like, it's this guy. Yeah. He's not to be with or mm-hmm. like he needs to be taken seriously because he's so awful and this rundown is the last mention of gloria and probably our last laura brannigan mention on this podcast gloria gloria <laughs> some other things because these pages can be frequently humorous we learn two things that are happening off panel one monet has discovered she developed a food allergy to brie like what a trend <laughs> melty brie is so good have you done that thing when you like bake it in a little crust or something yeah oh yeah you do that with a couple cocktails you're set for the evening my friend like for a game night or something i have to be in the mood for brie because otherwise it just tastes like foot it tastes like that spaghetti squash that crossed with a cucumber oh that was terrible listeners we had some crossbreeding in our squashes a couple summers ago and we tried to eat one of them and summer squash Went wrong. Spaghetti squash. Spaghetti squash, which is also a summer squash. Is it? Oh, yeah. It's I a summer it, squash. I suppose it doesn't keep. It doesn't. Oop. That That's your vegetable tip for the day, everyone. Summer squash does not keep. So you need to eat it fairly soon after it's harvested. Versus winter squash, where we just ate a squash last night that we harvested in October, and it is currently the beginning of April. Yes. If you put a few drinks in me and ask me my opinions on squash, I will just go off. Yes. Fair warning. We also have another fun fact. Guido, having become addicted to lingo, has set a new high record for the game. I don't know what that's referencing. That's one of those word games that you would play it, that it would be on your Facebook, and you could invite friends. There are also apps where... Oh, I did the Boggle version and the Scrabble version. Yes, so it's like that. Oh, okay. So... uh, Strong guy. Addicted. Like I am with Wordle. Yes. And several spinoffs. Yes, we are aging this podcast for future years by mentioning Wordle, I'm quite sure. It's a pop culture pop-up. <laughs> that you didn't expect. <laughs> Nor maybe want. Um, Daryl has feelings. Yeah, I'm not getting into that. So here we are. We've got Richter at the cafe and... The top panel, it gets called out in a future letters page on how it's a callback to the Nighthawks painting, 
where it's got the diner from the outside and Candy, the server, and a couple patrons. And it's Richter. He's looking for Siren. He decided that he was going to take Siren up on her offer of an early breakfast. Because mm-hmm. really, if Richter doesn't already know, he needs to know that breakfast is all day, every day. Yeah, and if you're up that early, why not? Yeah. When I would take students to the airport very, very early in the morning, I would go get fresh donuts. And it was perfect. And Candy knows Teresa. She's there all the time. And this was after Terry was sort of hitting on Richter. Was she? Being friendly? No, she's saying, like, my divorce was just finalized, dot, dot, dot. Oh, Candy was Candy, yes. You said Terry. Oh, I meant Candy. Candy, our waitstaff, is a little thirsty in the morning. And who can blame her for Richter? He's looking very well. His hair's growing out. I think that's helping. Yeah, it's not quite as court pagey. And the sweater does good things, like with the shoulder pads, the epaulettes mm. and the elbow pads on it. Yep. That's fun. And he knows how to rock a turtleneck. And it, being unsuccessful at the diner, they haven't seen Terry. He's walking back saying, all right, maybe I'll go back to headquarters and figure this out. And if I can find her there, then we have these X trackers that I can use to find her. Except we find her bloodied ex-tracker in the muck in the alley with a helpful little With two little rats. rats. They're like, hello, can we help you? What is this? Why is this beeping? Is this food? It is not. And there's some blood in the rainwater. Yes. Because it's noir, so it has rained recently. And it's good imagery of like... Richter sort of walking past this trail that would have led him to her. Mm-hmm. And this trail is leading to a stage door behind a theater. Yeah. Which has been previously unknown in the issues. It reminded me very much of a movie we watched on Spanguli a few weeks ago. Was it Devil Doll? Devil yes. Dolls? Devil Doll. With the mannequin and the dude who traps the dude's soul in the doll. I was thinking of the other one where he makes dolls out of people and shrinks them. Oh. And they wind up at a theater in the climax of that movie. Spanguli reviews old horror films super, from like the 50s and 60s. like Super campy. Very campy movies and he'll do commentary in the commercial breaks. Some of them are really good. Like there's been some really good hammer horror films there. Like yeah. Gorgon was a good time. But this one was not where he shrunk people down and kept them in tubes as dolls and was like... Putting them to sleep. But anyway. I think I fell asleep at the end. You probably did. And uh, we go inside the theater. There is a doctor who wants to help patch Siren up, but not in a good way. Like, his intentions are not great. This Dr. Leary is super creepy. He's, like, threading a needle. And all you see is, like, his eyes sort of fuzzy because they're in the background because the needle is up In close. focus, yeah. Yeah. Running it through, and I'm like, is he going to sew her mouth shut? Like, is how how creepy is this veering into? I, I would say I'd say very creepy. He's a a mutant who has lost his powers, doesn't know what to do. But he was sort of happy. What's he? I think he's happy, but also lost. Yeah, because his mutant identity sort of formed the core of who he was. Like he knew he is a mutant. It sort of ruined his life, but he got used to that status quo. 
that ruination. And he's really lost it. Yeah. There is a deep end and he has gone off of it. So the title of the issue is Captive Audience. This big splash page we see Siren is tied to one of the front row chairs in the theater. Yeah. Well, we have our dear doctor monologuing a lot. Half this issue is his villain monologue. Really. It's true. And you don't notice it. You keep reading because some monologues can be very obvious. The art is what does it for this issue. It switches up everything. Yeah. The in how they stage the images is very good. And Siren's doing her best to keep him away as he comes with the needle towards her. And he slaps her up. Yeah. Like, she tried to kick him away, and his vengeance was slapping her. And like, she's already been through the ringer. Yeah. Significantly. She has a ball gag in. Yeah. And he admits he has anger management issues. Not something you want in your doctor. No. Or a captor. And she still has the tranquilizer um, that affected her throat, so all she... The only dialogue bubbles that we can get from her are the sort of wavy dot 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 oomph oomph. Yeah, so sounds. Yeah. That she's making. Yeah. And he just goes off. He eventually takes the ball gag out and he knows that her vocal cords are immobilized and he's like, I can do that permanently. I can make sure that you don't talk. Ever again. As a way to coerce her to, like, accept this farce of a show of a monologue. and Yeah, and after he gets to a, a pause in his monologue, he hammers her leg with his fist, saying, If you ever kick me or try to do things to me again, I'll make it even worse for you. I couldn't tell if he just punched her or stabbed her with a scalpel. Oh. Ooh. And he's feeding her fruit from a can? It's either fruit cocktails or beans. Dear listener, if you know what it is. Yeah, let us know. So he's being creepy and trying to take care of her while he's being super abusive. Yeah. And he just keeps... Going like he does quote some Emerson, Lake, and Palmer somehow for like Mutant Town was thriving, it was magnificent, our numbers were growing, they were going to have like a community, a safe place. Like, he's going on a low power trip, yeah. And then it all came to an end. And he is wandering around while he's talking about it, how the mutants were going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then the decimation happened. And you people, X-Factor, X-Men, you're all responsible for this. You did this to us. Yeah. Somehow it all comes back to that, and that is sort of, we finally get to the reason why he has captured Siren. Yeah, he knows who she is. At least, he may not know her power set totally, but he did talk about the vocal cords, so he may have an idea of the power 
And he holds a scalpel to her throat of like, I can slice your vocal cords. Yep. And leave you alive. Yeah. And he's trying to make her swear that she will not do anything against him. Yeah. And we finally get the finally get the the reasoning behind all this. Like, I used to be someone, lady. I had a destiny. I had a plan. Now I got Jackal, and someone's going to pay for that. Which, in this case, is X-Factor, because it's the only... He stumbled upon her in the alley and had this whole realization of, I, this is someone responsible for what's happened to me, for my life going off the rails. I'm going to get my revenge. Yeah, and we're going to switch over and see Richter trying to find Siren. But at this point, I am so anxious reading this book. Yes. Like, my anxiety was so high. Just eyes on tenor hooks, wanting to know what was going to happen because one of our main characters is in a really shit situation. Like, a really likable character. Yeah. And the fact that Richter sort of walked past the alley... Possibly twice, like once on the way to the diner, once on the way back. Yeah. And didn't notice it. And no one else has known what's happening. Like, even Layla Miller, who knows stuff. Yeah. But that we'll talk about that in a future episode. So, Richter goes and finds the tracker. I like to think that these very helpful rats are like in Cinderella. Like, hello, right here, we have something for you. Oh, I had a dream about where there were, I thought they were bunnies, but then they were actually rats, but then they were still fuzzy and cute. Oh. So. Um. Richter finds it, and he's trying to put things together, how this could have happened. There's blood on this tracker. Something bad has happened. It's He sees the dark alley. We. It looks like he's about to go down into it. But even through all of these Richter panels, it's... The text bubbles are not from him. They're all from Dr. Leary. And he continues to monologue. Like, I'm a person, a person with dreams and hope that keep getting smacked around by the hand of fate. I need something to grab onto, and you are it. Like, it's it's sort of him circling the drain of this point of I had a purpose, I had a life and goals, and now it's all gone, and I need revenge. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, as Richter goes through this and you get more Dr. Leary, like, the pressure keeps building, like, this was definitely an issue where I was like, I, it's too late, I need to go to bed, but I can't not finish this. I need the resolution, I need to know how they save Siren. Dr. Leary goes into, I can send X-Factor something. I can send them maybe a finger. Ugh. Or... Um, maybe a lock of hair, an ear, an eye, it, and the lock of hair mention is when Richter finds a little piece of her hair in the fence. So we see Richter slowly getting there, following these clues to find Siren. And this is where I'm like, find her, find her. It wasn't fast enough. (laughs) Yes, because you're going through this crazy man's monologue while he's... uh, unraveling this mystery and it was so tense it was so good i mean the writing for the mystery aspect of this was so damn good the fact that it, yeah the fact that it was his monologue overwritten on richter like 
ever so slowly putting it together that something happened to Teresa. Like, it just ratchets up with each panel and each dialogue box. of like, how is this going to happen? And Richter almost walks past the stage door. The last panel on the page is he does a double take and looks at the door. And it's like, maybe I should go in. Yeah. And we're like, yes, yes, go in. Or call for backup and then go in. Yeah. We cut back to the interior of the theater and see that Terry has a little bit of a voice back. She can whisper talk. You can tell the font is slightly different. The word, the letters are smaller. Mm-hmm. The letterer is doing a really good job differentiating things. Yeah. And he's trying to make Siren swear that she'll do whatever she can to bring people's powers back, bring his life back. And she's like, I don't know anything. We're as upset as you are. We're trying to figure this out. And he's like, well, you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. So you want me to take a leap of faith? We're jumping together. And again, he's really hammering on, swear to everything that you find holy, that you are going to do everything to figure this out. And she... And, like, he's waving the scalpel. The scalpel is very close to her eyeball. Yes. And I think, like, horror movies where it involves, like, eyeballs and things, no, like, makes me gag. So I was having some visceral reactions, which is what this book wants you to do. It wants you to feel that terror, and I did. But you know who's not feeling this terror? Teresa, because she's badass. Yeah, so she says, go to hell, you sick weakling. That is a power move, and he's like... He's like, you're afraid, and she's like, in your dreams, you don't know who you're screwing with. And at this point, we hear Richter shouting, Terry, you in here? And Dr. Leary pops that ball gag back in her mouth. And it's only her in that last panel, so you get the sense that he is... He's off, he's gonna find him. That Dr. Leary is going to investigate whoever is here. And Richter himself acknowledges, maybe it was a bad idea for me to shout when I came in here following a trail of blood. Yes. So, good for Richter having some self-awareness in the moment. Yeah, and we see Dr. Leary stalking in the shadows again. The art in this book is just so good. You, it's... It makes you not only want to read the next issue, it makes you need to turn that page. It gets you heavily invested. Yeah. And there's some panels in here that don't have thought bubbles at all, so you're stuck in this, like, who's going to find who first? Is Larry going to find sneak up on Richter before Richter can save Teresa? What? Yeah. There's, like, the, it's just, like, footprints. The, the that... anxiety and... Um, Tense level is ratcheted with each page, I feel, at this point in the issue. Yes. And we get an image of Richter in front of Larry, not knowing that Dr. Larry is behind him. Terry snaps her arms out of the restraints that were tying them down so she can tear out that ball gag. And Richter is trying to find his way 
through the curtain seeing how do I get through these? Like, is Terry out there? I like, mean, if it was the Muppet Show, it'd be a funny gag of like, oh, I got trapped in the curtains and I can't get out. Har, and, har, har. But in this, it's just like, no, you can't get stuck. You have to keep moving. He's right behind you. And being a high school theater kid, sometimes it's really hard to find where the curtain, the curtain parts. You're just sort of like pawing at it, hoping it reveals itself because of all the folds. It's really hard to find it sometimes. So... The bottom panel on a page is Richter pushing through and Dr. Larry behind him, like, scalpel upraised like he's about to stab Richter. And the ball gag comes out. We see Siren scream and it's directed directly at Leary and he gets knocked back, but he still has a scalpel in his hand and... A fight ensues. And it's this great, like, she's leaning forward, she takes out the ball gag, and then you get this picture of it. At first glance, you think, oh, like, she's just taking, relaxing, that she has it out, she can, like, gather herself, but when you think about it, it's like, oh, that's not her relaxing and, like, trying to get comfort back into her limbs, that's her taking a big, deep breath. Mm. To let out this big scream, and you can... It took me a minute to go back at, to see that it's the glass in Dr. Larry's spectacles that shattered. And that's the sound that Richter hears behind him. Is the little ping. And they're going back and forth. Richter is just trying to stave off this scalpel, which is almost to his forehead. Dr. Leary is in full psycho fight mode. He's going for the eyeballs again. And in the panel below, he's got, like, the full bloodshot, like, super creepy eyes. Yep. Not, like, fun eyes like Gowron from Star Trek, yeah. but, like, bloodshot, out of control. Yeah, he has crazy eyes. Yeah. And In the worst way. He's screaming, I want my life. And Richter's like, I heard you. And at that point, Richter had... He pushes him into the ropes that are holding, like, the curtains, the sandbags, like, yeah. that whole apparatus, which I don't know what that is called in a theater. I just know it from movies like Charade. Yes. Where you have all those ropes and sandbags. It's and... for the different flies that they have. So the backgrounds that are hoisted up. You have um, the weights and everything. So everything's there. And Richter has surreptitiously thrown the rope around Leary's neck while Leary is wrestling around with him. And he throws the lever and Leary is hanged. No, by... there's a scalpel. The scalpel was used. Oh, that was it. Yes, the scalpel cuts the cord and Dr. Leary is no longer a living issue because he is hung. And not in a fun gay way. That's why it's hanged for that context oh. and not hung. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's I might I skipped the scalpel panel because I went straight to the bottom of what happened. Yeah, it's easy to do that too when you're reading through this, and it, what I think a benefit of us going through it to chat about it is that we're picking up on things that we missed the first time as well. Yeah. So, Doctor Leary out of the picture literally as Richter. Parts the curtains, he finds Teresa, he jumps down, and he is rescuing her. He full-on bodyguard 
carries her out of that theater. And the last thing he says is Candy says hi. Yeah, because she was going off on like, I wasn't afraid. Like, all this was happening, but I wasn't afraid. Did you know that I was not afraid? And Mm -hmm. he's like, well, I'm glad that you weren't because I definitely was. Yeah. Like, how awesome is Teresa Cassidy? Yeah. She is so strong. She has so many facets that we've seen even in the run so far. Yeah. Um, She's good at taking care of people. She obviously is battling her own demons when it comes to alcoholism and is doing a great job with that. And we're seeing that even in this situation where she was alone, she wasn't in that team environment, she was already injured. She was super strong. The part of the thought process as I was reading is how is she going to get out of it? Like, it wasn't necessarily, like, how is Richard going to save her? Because at that point, like, he had walked past and I'm like, well, that ship has sailed. And that it was all going to be on her to get out of it. And, yeah, Richard comes in and provides enough of it. Like, that was one possibility. An equal possibility was her doing something awesome to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have our letters page where the first letter, they're still on that line about Monet looking like Siren. Yeah. And this person wants their no prize because their explanation for it was due to a secondary mutation. She now subconsciously and spontaneously probes the minds of males around her and telepathically alters their perception of her appearance to assume a form that is most appealing to them. Oh. So we the reasoning behind this, the logic, is that Richter wanted to see Siren hmm. and not Monet. There's a um Mass Effect two or three. Um I think it's two where one of the alien species um basically meets with other species to sort of rearrange their genetic code. So, like, mm. their progeny are all Asari, um, but the the partners can be any species. They just sort of get used to stir things up and create a genetically different offspring. Mm. And there's some dialogue in there where each of those different species sees the Asari as super attractive, and there's different parts that make them look super attractive. Like, oh, no, it's the head spines. No, it's, like, the hourglass curves. Like... Mm. It's that that mechanism, but it's in a video game, so that's fun. The second letter questions Peter David, why did you sort of pretend like Jamie and Siren never knew one another? And we talked about that a little bit last episode, where it's nice like to get it sort of a fresh start without and, having to get through all of the exposition. And that is what Peter David explains. He did this for the reason for a reason. He doesn't need to bog everyone down with backstory. If you know it, great. If you're a new reader, you don't need to know it because he's going to draw upon it if it's ever a factor in the future. Right. For So for a new reader like me who had no idea, I'm like, oh, that, that could be a thing. But his explanation made so much sense because, yeah, otherwise it would be a lot to try and track down everyone's past lovers. And, and as a new reader, is that working for you? Yeah. Like, you know that they sort of trust each other and know each other from before, but it's not doesn't take up that much airspace, and it allows more room for them to still grow mm-hmm. and for the team to grow. 
And it doesn't, a past relationship doesn't take all the oxygen out of the room. Yeah. The second question posed by this letter is, where's Wolverine? Doesn't he appear in every Marvel book? Yeah, that's... Still true. Still true. I have feelings about that. And Peter David said, he's here. Haven't you seen him? He's just hiding in the shadows, waiting for his opportunity. And the fact that you don't see him just indicates he continues to be the best he is at what he does. Ugh. Which is a hilarious explanation. <laughs> um, I'm not minding the absence of the mainline X-Men in this book. I don't really notice their absence. Yeah, and it it places it does a good job of placing X-Factor. Like Whatever's happening with the main title is clearly very far away. Mm-hmm. The mutant town is not on the X-Men's radar. No. And it's up to only this group to do something about it. Yeah. It's a very insular title right now, even though it did touch on a larger event with Decimation and House of M. It's very distinctly its own thing. Like, its sense of place is very strong. Yes. Yeah. And the last letter asks about Layla Miller, and we get a tease for the next issue. We do. So they want to know more about Layla's backstory, and Peter David said, just you wait, we're going to get it. Next issue... we're is literally the next issue. Next issue, we're going to get a little bit of Layla Miller's backstory as she tells it. So... Which means you can't even necessarily trust it. Depends on how you feel about that character at the time. Like, if she's the one giving this information, are you like, oh yeah, she's just saying that for her reasons because she knows things? Or what's the deal? Yeah. Alright, so what were your thoughts on the issue overall? So good. I had to read another one to calm down enough to go to bed, even though it was like 11 o'clock at night that I was reading it. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, like, it's all coming together. The art, the lettering, the plot, like, it's a very complete package, and it's very well done, very polished in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like, each of those facets complements each other. Yeah. And we are getting a switch up in artists here, so it is not the artist for the first few issues moving forward. Right. And I, I like the Nighthawks reference. Like, that was fun. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's good. It is. So, uh, I think we're really excited to keep going on this journey and bringing you a new episode each week covering an issue. Obviously, we're talking about this at length. Yeah. And super excited about it. So, we hope that you all are excited, too. And we'd love to hear from you where are you at with reading this? Are you a person who reads ahead? Do you read along with us? Would you, what would you put in the letters page? Oh, what and, would... and should we read those out loud from, the, from past episodes? Oh, that'd be... If people submit stuff. That'd be fun. Yeah, so... And where would they submit it? Yeah. On you, Instagram. Instagram, you can find us at X Factor Files Podcast. So make sure to check us out, join the community and discuss things with us. We have regular features. You got your Magazine Mondays. Magazine Mondays, Tunes Day, where we feature the song for each issue that is mentioned climbing the charts or maybe falling from the charts. Oh. It's a song from the charts. Yes. We'll 
we'll phrase it like that. Um, and then we also have our pop culture rundown every Wednesday in our Instagram story. So featuring some of those things happening that we talk about yeah. each week. This is also our second week of our Flippy giveaway. So make sure to check out the post on our Instagram feed. We have a Flippy to giveaway is sponsored by Flippy themselves. So it's great to use when you're reading. We're really excited for this partnership. I was just so flab not flabbergasted, but like super impressed that they got different angles at each of the three orientations of it. Yeah. So, so depending on like how reclined you are, there's an angle on it for you. Yeah. So make sure to check out that post. Enter the giveaway. We really want someone to get this fantastic product to help read X Factor moving forward. And yeah, if it's the issues, if it's on a tablet, if it's in an omnibus style yeah. thing, yeah, because, which are huge. Yeah, and the first part of this series is coming out in omnibus format this summer. Nice. They're finally releasing it. So there's obviously a demand out there for it. And yeah, I think that's about it. So until next time, everyone. Dear listeners, stay safe. Be good. And thank you for listening. See ya. Bye. Bye.